Hello, I'm Amelia Renkert Thomas, the author of Engaged Ownership, a guide for owners of family businesses. Welcome to part three of the Engaged Ownership audiobook. Part three, Practicing Engaged Ownership. Owen Family, June 16th, 2012. Martha Owen Jones. Today is our first official meeting of the Owen Products Owners Council. After quite a bit of discussion, we agreed on the following structure for this forum. Goals and tasks. Act in furtherance of the shared purpose and vision. Speak with one voice on issues related to the business and the core capital. Promote effective decision-making regarding our family and our core capital. Membership of the group. All owners of the business. Next-gen family members aged 25 or over may observe at the invitation of the group. Leadership. Chair, Martha. We agreed it would be better to choose a chair who doesn't work for the company or sit on the board, if possible. Co-chair, Christopher. Representative to the board, Amanda. Meetings. Annual one-day retreat. Quarterly three-hour meeting two weeks before the board meeting, and a monthly one-hour conference call. Voting. Seek consensus. Accountability. We agreed to hold ourselves accountable through moral suasion rather than strict legal rules or requirements. We agreed that if a member of the forum has more than two unexcused absences per year or more than four excused absences, we will reconsider. We also agreed that we need a family assembly so that there will be a forum for discussing family issues related to the business and the core capital and educating family members. The family assembly will give us and our spouses a place to discuss matters as a group other than during holiday dinners. We're going to hold the first meeting later this summer when we're all together. We'll help the family assembly get organized and we'll be members, but we don't want to control it. We want it to be an independent group rather than a satellite. Chapter 11, Forums. Board, Owners' Council, Family Assembly. Family business owners are familiar with the problem of business issues popping up at family dinners and family disagreements surfacing at board meetings. Family businesses are complex systems with multiple and interlocking roles and relationships. The ambiguity, intrigue, and shadow decision-making that happens when decisions aren't made in the right forum can impede engaged ownership and indeed trip up decision-making throughout the family business system. Recognizing that each of the groups, family, owners, board, and management, has its own objectives and perspective, one of the responsibilities of the owners as the ultimate owners of the core capital is to create opportunities for each group's voice to be heard. Decision-making will be more effective if each group has a forum in which to come together. The three main forums are the Owners' Council, the Board of Directors, and the Family Assembly. Each has its own membership, focus, and responsibilities. The Owners' Council is responsible for articulating the shared purpose and vision for the business and for the broader core capital. Membership includes all owners, including individual owners, and trustees of family trusts that own shares in the business. If there are non-family owners, the Owners' Council may choose to include them as well in part or all of its activities. 
The Owners' Council is responsible for providing a forum to assist owners in making the decisions reserved to the owners. It is also responsible for ownership succession, including preparing the rising generation to become engaged owners. The Owners' Council is responsible for the question, what is our vision for the future of the business and the core capital? The Board of Directors is the overseer of the business. It is composed of directors elected by the owners. While the board's exact responsibilities are determined by the owners, who determine which powers will be reserved to the owners and which will be delegated to the board, generally speaking, the board is responsible for serving as the liaison between the business and the owners, for hiring and overseeing management, and for approving the financial and strategic plans of the business. The board is responsible for the question, How will the business deploy its financial, human, and enterprise capital to achieve the vision set forth by the owners? The family assembly is responsible for maintaining effective family relationships, for strengthening the family glue. Membership includes all family members. However, family member is defined by the family. The family assembly may organize family retreats and gatherings. The Family Assembly may also be tasked with preserving the family's values and legacy and for leading the tasks of family education and mentoring. The Family Assembly may take responsibility for family philanthropy. The Family Assembly is responsible for these questions. How will we preserve and strengthen our family relationships? How will we prepare our descendants to participate effectively in the family business system and to sustain the core capital? Senior management will typically create its own forums to handle the work of managing the business on a day-to-day basis. The owners, operating through the owner's council, create the initial basic organizational structure for each forum. Often, owners will find that the organizational aspects of the board are set forth in organizational documents of the business, typically the Certificate of Incorporation and Bylaws or the Code of Regulations but that there is no equivalent for the family assembly or the owner's council. Owners creating a new forum will want to spell out the goals and tasks of the forum, the membership of the forum, the leadership structure of the forum, for example, chair, vice chair, secretary, etc., and how they're appointed, and the style of leadership. How often the forum will meet, and whether in person or via conference call or video, how the forum will decide an issue, by consensus, by majority, by supermajority, how the forum will determine its agenda and keep a record of its discussions and decisions, and how the members of the forum will hold themselves accountable and how the forum will be held accountable by the other forums. These details are set down in writing, along with the mechanism by which the group once assembled can amend them to better fit its particular circumstances. The job for the owners is not to carve in stone how the family assembly or the board of directors should do its work, but rather to provide a stable starting point. The gathering of the members of a group is referred to here as a forum rather than an entity to indicate that it need not have a formal legal existence, although some owners may choose to give a forum legal standing. For example, the owners' council could be established as a non-stock corporation or LLC can operate in accordance with a charter established within the formation of the entity, or its operations could be spelled out in the shareholders' agreement or possibly the bylaws.
The overall objective for each forum is to be able to represent the needs and interests of its constituency, to make those decisions retained by or delegated to it, and to speak with one voice in decision-making with other forums. The new forums will operate more effectively if the initial chairs have leadership experience gleaned from participating on a well-run corporate or nonprofit board. At the same time, owners will want to guard against the temptation to name the most experienced member the chair of every forum. Some owners will name a trusted administrative member of the business or family office staff as secretariat of all groups. The secretariat is responsible for arranging meetings, notifying members, keeping minutes, and distributing information to all the members of each group. Decision-making within the family business system will operate more smoothly if everyone within the system develops the habit of asking themselves and each other, which forum is the right place for me to address this particular question or issue? This isn't easy, particularly if everyone within the system grew accustomed to centralized decision-making under a controlling owner. Is this a family question, a business question, an ownership question? To promote discussion, the leader of each forum will want to educate everyone in the system about the forum's focus and encourage communication through the system about its work. More than a few questions will implicate more than one group and may require joint efforts or meetings. Those who wear multiple hats within the organization, particularly family owner-managers, will want to ask themselves, what hat am I wearing when I consider this particular question? This is especially important when a business or ownership question arises that affects two or more individuals who are also related, father and son, sister and brother, uncle and niece. In such instances, the participants may find it difficult to consider the issue separate and apart from their personal relationship. This is because familial relationships have been built up over tremendously long periods of time and may be reinforced by multi-generational values, for example, being deferential to elders. However, when it comes to making decisions about the business and the core capital, too much deference may result in a failure to look closely at what truly is at stake. Another important habit for building engaged ownership and effective system-wide decision-making is developing a collective understanding of which decisions will be made on a day-to-day basis by management and which belong to a forum. Engaged ownership should never become meddling. For a business to function effectively, most day-to-day decision-making and even much strategic planning will necessarily happen at the managerial level. Otherwise, the business will stagnate while owners and board debate who should plow the drive or choose the paint color for the reception area, or, less facetiously, determine what capital investment will be necessary to maintain market share or develop a human resources and compensation program. Engaged ownership has to overcome the tendency toward centralized decision-making and possibly micromanagement that operated under the founding owner. To avoid micromanaging and to further the owner's shared purpose and vision, a critical task for owners is redefining the allocation of decision-making power among family owners, board, and management in service of sustaining and growing the core capital. Owen Family, September 18, 2012. Michael Owen.
At our quarterly owners council meeting yesterday, we did some work around which forums or individuals should make which decisions. Before we started working on engagement, I never would have thought about this question. My dad ran the company and made all the decisions. So when the board named me president, I figured I would have the same role. I confess that I was put off by the notion of sharing decision-making with the owners, much less with the board. My dad was always careful to organize board meetings so he could make sure the board would agree with whatever plan he had in mind. And he was the only owner, so ownership questions never entered the picture. Besides, don't our bylaws spell all this stuff out? Amanda explained that the corporate law of our jurisdiction spells out some requirements but privately held businesses have a great deal of leeway in how they choose to govern themselves. At the beginning of the meeting, I just wanted to make management responsible for everything. Just leave us alone to get on with running the business. Thank you. I felt that everyone was doubting my motives and my ability. But then Martha asked me to think about what decisions I would want to make if we were going to make a big investment in a new business started by her son, Jameson. And that started me thinking. Jameson is a smart kid, and I'm sure his ideas would be good. But if I were investing in his business, I wouldn't want to go in blind. I'd want access to financial information. I'd certainly want to vote on the directors. I'd probably want to be part of the nominating committee that put together the slate of directors. I'd want some say about how much debt the business could take on, since debt holders would be first in line if the business went bankrupt or were dissolved down the line. I'd want to know what the business strategy is, not so much to control it or judge it, but to understand what the business is trying to do and whether it is sticking to the strategy that was proposed when I invested. And I'd want some say in how shareholders can transfer their shares and who they can transfer them to, and whether the company can issue more shares. Once I got thinking about all this, I understood my sister's and brother's interest in this topic. Ownership questions are very different from management questions. As owners, we too have a lot at stake. Chapter 12, Allocating Power Among Owners, Board, and Management Thinking about the Allocation of Decision-Making Power All decision-making power within a corporation initially belongs to the owners. This may seem counterintuitive in a business world where CEOs and their management teams are the face of corporate strategy and decision-making, but owners sit at the center of business decision-making from the moment the business is created. The question is what owners will choose to do with their power. Under the public company model, Owners generally delegate nearly all decision-making except for the right to vote for a slate of directors, to approve the auditor, and the right to approve certain major transactions, such as a sale of the business or substantially all of its assets. This system has arisen in response to the popularity of the public company model, where a large and diverse group of owners are making a financial investment, few if any hold a controlling interest, and those who are unhappy with management's decision-making can choose to exit by selling their shares into a well-regulated public market. Government statutes and codes provide a basic default structure for private corporation decision-making that is very much in keeping with the public company model. 
Engaged owners should recognize that these same statutes do not mandate that a company put in place the default framework. Rather, these statutes and codes generally offer opportunities for very different allocations of decision-making power and thereby permit customized structures for reallocating decision-making power in ways that might better suit the needs of a particular family and business. At one end of the spectrum, the owners can retain all powers and control all decisions, and this is the model we see in very small one-person businesses. Founder-run or controlling owner businesses typically exhibit some degree of delegation to a board of management, but they hew closely to the central decision-maker model as well. Yet, these models can become inefficient as the business grows and can leave non-managing owners completely in the dark. What other options exist between the controlling owner centralized decision-making model and the public company model? For engaged owners who have enumerated their core capital and articulated a shared purpose and vision, and have begun the work of creating forums for family, business, and ownership discussion and decision-making, the task is to allocate decision-making power in a way that gives the owners a voice in the highest level of strategic decision-making and the family a voice in issues that affect them, while still giving the board and management sufficient leeway to operate the business. Building an Allocation Grid The Owners' Council begins the work of allocating power among owners, board, and family by developing a list of all the key decisions that might need to be made. Their list might include the following, and for a more detailed list, please see the appendix. Acquire a new business. Change the brand. Elect the board. Borrow money. Hire family members. Hire the CEO. Declare a dividend. Approve the annual plan. Approve the five-year strategic plan. Approve the auditor. Sell the business. Move the headquarters. Reduce the workforce by more than X percent. Change the employee benefit plan substantially. Increase or decrease corporate-level charitable giving by more than Y percent. Determine the qualifications to be an owner and establish share transfer restrictions. Redeem shares. What is probably clear from even this incomplete list is that the owner's shared purpose and their vision for the future of the business and for the deployment of the core capital will affect, and possibly even dictate, the outcome of each of these decisions. How these decisions are made and implemented matters to the owners and the family, quite likely in ways that a financially focused investor might not notice or care about. For example, reducing corporate-level charitable giving might be an entirely logical way for a cash-strapped company to fund capital investments. But for a business that is viewed by the community as a prominent citizen, such a change, if not thoughtfully announced and perhaps coordinated with an increase in family-level giving, might irrevocably damage the businesses and the families' reputation and standing in the eyes of the community. Likewise, the choice of the CEO will have implications not just for the leadership of the business, but also for the owners and for the family. The CEO isn't just the leader of the business. He or she is the voice and public face of the business 
and in many circumstances of the family as well. A CEO who makes a decision based purely on financial criteria, without considering the impact on human capital and enterprise capital, may increase the value of the business and its standing among its peer companies, but may so discourage and frustrate employees that innovation is stifled and the business struggles in the future. So what does this mean for allocating decision-making power? The job for the owners is to consider whether the default system spelled out in the company's bylaws and day-to-day practice works for them, and if not, which groups should make the key decisions. Once they've completed the list of critical decisions, the owner should create a grid with the decisions running down the left-hand column and the decision-making forums, owners individually, owners council, board of directors, management, family assembly, across the top. The first step is to highlight the block in the grid to show which group or individual currently holds the power to decide. They may need to consult with the board or corporate council to determine this. They may also want to add another column to provide space for detailing how a decision is made currently or how it was made immediately before the ownership transfer. This is important because the owners may find any number of decisions that are still made by someone who is influential but who holds no formal power. The retired founder of the business or the matriarch of the family, for example. Then, the owners complete the grid by filling in the cells as follows. D means the power to decide. C means the right to be consulted before another group with the power to make a decision acts. V is the power to veto a decision made by another group. A is the power to set the decision-making agenda. And I is the right to be informed promptly after a decision is made by another group. Now, the rules for the exercise are relatively simple. Every row must have one, and only one, D. And every row may have a C, a V, an A, or an I. In thinking about allocating powers, the owners will want to keep a number of factors in mind. Certain decisions, such as whether to sell or dissolve the business, are so fundamental that they belong to the owners individually. The Owners' Council can serve as an important forum for educating the owners and providing a forum for discussion around those issues before the individual owners make their vote. Other fundamental decisions, whether to sell all or a substantial part of the business or to borrow money over a certain threshold or to change the dividend policy, that affect the ability to achieve the owner's vision and could irrevocably change the future deployment of the core capital inside and outside the business, merit consideration by engaged owners as a group. The owners will want to consider whether to delegate the ultimate decision to the owner's council or to maintain the right to decide on an individual basis. Retaining a specific power will give the owner's council control of that decision, but also the responsibility to make it on a timely basis. Thus, retaining the right to make a given decision may slow down business decision-making at critical times, 
particularly when none of the owners are involved in day-to-day operations and lack the information needed to make the decision that must be made quickly. This suggests that delegating the right to decide to the board while retaining the right to be consulted may enable owners to balance their need for information with the realities of short-fuse corporate decision-making. Beware of the impulse to share decision-making among forums, for example, between the owners and the family. By all means, share discussion and deliberation around critical decisions among the forums. Indeed, consider holding multi-forum meetings to share information and viewpoints on the most critical issues. Ultimately, though, one group must bear the responsibility of making a decision. Sharing that responsibility raises the real risk that a decision will be passed back and forth and never finally made to the detriment of the business and the core capital. Similarly, when the owner's council retains a power to decide, it may create a disincentive for another group to think creatively and proactively about the issue. Delegating the right to decide to the board but keeping the right to be consulted may give the owners the influence they seek without disengaging the board and management from the process. Likewise, for decisions that could have a tremendous impact on the entire family, the right to be consulted may be given to the family assembly. For critical decisions that may have an outsized impact on the core capital outside as well as inside the business, the owner's council may wish to retain the right to veto a decision that another group otherwise has the power to make. Be mindful that a veto power is more radical than a consent right. It is akin to the emergency brake on a speeding train. It is a very useful tool in an emergency, but it is difficult to execute without causing collateral damage to the relationship between the two groups. Retaining the right to approve the strategic plan for the business may be the most valuable right the owner's council can retain. Retaining the right to approve the strategic plan is a major shift toward engagement and away from the public company model of corporate decision-making, and it reflects the owner's recognition that the strategic plan has an outsized impact on the core capital over time. This emphasizes the importance for engaged ownership of insisting that board and management adhere to an established strategic planning process and schedule. A strategic plan puts in place agreed-upon boundaries for management, board, owners, and family decision-making and will reduce the occurrence of emergency decision-making. The right to set the decision-making agenda is critical but undervalued. Generally, the group that has the power to make a decision would also have the power to set the agenda for that decision. However, the Owners' Council might choose to share the right to set the agenda with another group on a critical issue. For example, sharing the right to determine how much of the company's free cash flow will be allocated to capital reinvestment and how much to dividends with the board. To ensure adequate education and discussion around the issue takes place among board and owners before the decision is made. Another example would be the process of agenda setting for the annual meeting of shareholders. This task is often delegated to the company's administrative team or to corporate counsel. Engaged owners instead will recognize that face-to-face meetings with board and senior management are important and relatively rare. 
and will want to use that time not only to take care of corporate formalities, but also to review the shared purpose and vision and update the board and management regarding the ongoing work of the Owners Council and Family Assembly and vice versa. By retaining the right to set the agenda for the annual meeting of shareholders, the Owners Council can ensure that matters of importance to them are duly considered. Another undervalued power is the right to be informed about a decision promptly after it has been made. Knowing what has been decided by other groups helps to keep group decision-making current and effective. If the board and management know that they must inform the Owners' Council promptly regarding a given decision, they will have an added incentive to follow a thorough decision-making process. Some decisions do lend themselves to intergroup decision-making. For example, the nominating committee might include representatives from the Owners' Council as well as the board of directors and possibly management. In these circumstances, a committee composed of members of each group can be created and the power to decide then delegated to the committee. Other decisions may be framed as policies, for example, family employment policy or dividend policy. Policy establishes boundaries for ongoing decision-making on a given topic and can usefully reduce the incidence of one-off decision-making. Once the decision grid exercise has been completed, the Owners' Council will want to look at the grid as a whole and ask themselves some questions. Do the retained powers align with the owner's collective shared purpose and vision? They will want to compare the decision grid allocation with the original allocation as expressed in the company's corporate documents. Does the decision grid allocation represent an evolution or a revolution? Is the allocation sensible? Is it feasible? How will it be accepted by the other forums? The consequences of changing the decision-making status quo are not immediately obvious, and the Owners' Council would be well advised to inform the Board of Directors and the Family Assembly of their ideas before the allocation of decision-making powers is finalized. A group of enthusiastic, engaged owners initially may want to retain many decision-making powers. Upon reflection and review, they may come to recognize that they, as an owner's council, simply do not have the requisite knowledge or are unable to invest the time that would be necessary to build the knowledge and experience to make so many critical decisions wisely. They may then choose to adjust their own role with respect to a given power down to a consent right or opt instead to retain a right to be informed, recognizing that requiring board and or management to keep owners informed may be enough to trigger the implementation of a more thorough and transparent decision-making system at the board and management level. Ultimately, if the newly proposed allocations of decision-making power represent a substantial change from the current allocation expressed in the shareholders' agreement or other corporate documents, they will also want to discuss their thinking with counsel and plan for the amendment of these documents. Owen Family, December 22nd, 2012. Amanda Owen Cooper. Today was the first annual board owner lunch, which followed the quarterly board meeting. We added the lunch to our annual calendar because we want to have an opportunity to meet more casually with our board and also to thank them for their service on behalf of Owen Products Limited. The board has been very respectful of the shareholders' efforts to organize the owners' council 
especially when we presented our thoughts on how decision-making should be allocated among family, owners, board, and management. We helped them understand our shared purpose and vision and the way we value our core capital. They, in turn, made a number of useful suggestions and helped us understand better the value and perspective they bring to the business as directors. Over lunch, our newest director, who runs a third-generation family-owned ceramic tile manufacturing company in the West, told us all a story about decision-making in his business. Apparently, his cousin, the lawyer who owns 20% of the shares, proposed to amend the shareholders' agreement to prohibit share transfers without the consent of a supermajority of 75% of the shareholders. His idea was that the owners needed to have the ability to control who would own the shares to ensure that shares would pass only to those who demonstrated the necessary ability. He was quite adamant about the proposal and created considerable family strife advocating for it. Another cousin, who also held 20%, felt equally strongly that owners should have the right and ability to transfer shares to whom they please, provided that the successors were family members. The second cousin's reasoning was twofold. First, supermajority votes give veto power and permit a small group to hold up the entire body, often for personal reasons. Second, the voting rule didn't create any mechanisms to help create education opportunities to ensure there would be capable owner candidates. Ultimately, the group followed the second cousin's lead and agreed to permit free transfers within the family and to create a family council to focus on educating family members about the business and responsibilities of ownership. At the end of the story, the director said he had learned that authoritarian rules aren't a particularly good way to govern something as changeable as a family-owned business. And if we Owens can continue to focus on engagement and reaching consensus, he feels we stand a better chance of being successful over the long term. Chapter 13, Working with Other Forums Engaged owners don't operate in a vacuum. Their work is intended to take into account the needs and wishes of the wider family and to guide the work of the board and management. Once the groups are defined and the forums, family assembly, owners' council, board of directors, are created, the work begins. For a group of owners just beginning the work of engagement, the first step will be getting the owners' council and family assembly up and running. Engagement with the family assembly. Family assemblies vary widely. Some boast vibrant leadership, 100% family participation, and well-subscribed group activities such as family retreats, picnics, parties, newsletters, web pages, and educational events. Others are smaller forums with more limited engagement, perhaps an annual family gathering. Clearly, an active and inviting family assembly can be a tremendous asset for a family and for engaged owners of a family business because it can achieve stature as the voice of the family. When the owner's council needs information and guidance about the family's wishes and needs, a strong family assembly with respected leadership will be trusted by the family to represent its interests promptly and accurately. Cross-membership between the family assembly and the owner's council can be very useful, at least at the start. However, to be effective, the family assembly needs to be more than the little sibling, or worse, the mouthpiece, of the owner's council, so cross-leadership is best avoided. 
multi-generational leadership of the family assembly can be powerful and effective. Often, the owners of a family business will be older members of the family with established leadership roles, parents, trustees, directors, senior management. The family assembly offers the opportunity to give the rising generation a way to participate in organizing family events, thereby building their leadership skills and helping to prepare them for other roles in the family business system over time and giving the existing leadership a chance to see them in action and provide direction, mentorship, and encouragement. For families that already have a family assembly in place and where the separate tasks of ownership have not been delineated, the owner's council faces a delicate task. It must introduce itself as a separate forum that represents the owner's shared purpose and vision to the business and considers how the owner's core capital should be deployed over time. And it must gently separate ownership decision-making from family decision-making. Separating the owner's council from the family assembly may well have the salutary effect of clarifying for the wider family what decisions will be made by whom and reducing the conflict that can arise when an issue is raised in a forum that has no power to deal with it. While the owner's council will want to avoid any suggestion that it controls the family assembly, it will want to have an active and visible role. The owner's council may opt to fund or subsidize the family assembly's activities or sponsor events such as a family dinner following the shareholders' annual meeting. The owner's council will also want to volunteer to sponsor and or provide education about the business and the core capital with the goal of building an understanding among the wider family of all the forms of capital invested in the business. In turn, the family assembly will provide critical information about the family. The family assembly can help the owners understand how the family articulates its family purpose. The answer to the question, why do we want to remain closely connected as a family? The values and goals and how it sees the business and the core capital in service of the family purpose. This information is not static. It changes over time as the family grows and the family's core capital expands. Information gleaned from the family assembly can be woven into the shared purpose and vision that owners articulate to the board and management. This raises the question, why isn't the owner's statement of shared purpose sufficient? Where the owner's council is made up of family leaders, Does the involvement of a strong family assembly create an opportunity for conflict of vision that would not have arisen had the family assembly not been organized? This is a problem sometimes faced by family businesses where the family has grown while ownership has remained concentrated and where the owner's values are less relevant or possibly not even accepted by the broader family group. The Owner's Council can choose how involved it wishes to become in the family assembly and how much it wishes to acknowledge and absorb the wider and changing family purpose in its own shared purpose and vision. That is indeed the prerogative of the owners. But if the family group includes those who will be the future owners of the core capital, the owners may find that entering into dialogue with those who will come next can enrich rather than weaken the shared purpose, and helped both groups find common ground. 
making an effort to understand the family assembly's perspective may reduce the odds of a revolutionary change in the shared purpose when the ownership changes hands and instead offer the possibility of evolutionary change that won't destroy or waste core capital. Engagement with the board. While the family assembly may be an entirely new forum, the business most likely already has a board of directors with well-established practices and a working relationship with management. The task, then, for the owner's council is to introduce itself, the shared purpose, and the vision in a way that promotes dialogue and collaboration with the board. Where the board includes owners, the process likely will be easier to begin than where the board consists entirely of independent directors, because owner-directors will already understand the process and may have begun the work of introducing the concept of engaged ownership to the independent directors. In companies that heretofore were run by a controlling owner or followed the public company model, the task may be more difficult. Rarely is a board actively hostile to an owner's council. After all, the owners elected the directors, and the director's job is to look after the owner's interests. But the board may find dealing with engaged owners somewhat off-putting, especially if the owner's vision suggests a major realignment of the business strategy is necessary, or the owner's council is looking to substantially reallocate decision-making powers. The owner's council will want to introduce the shared purpose, vision, and decision grid to the board deliberately and over time, and to get the board's feedback. As a matter both of law and good practice, the board may also wish to formally acknowledge and or approve at least some allocations of decision-making power proposed by the owners. Given its fiduciary obligations to the company and the owners, the board may also be obligated to question whether the shared purpose, vision, and decision grid unreasonably constrict its decision-making options. When a board has been assuming the owner's wishes regarding the optimal deployment of business capital, the delivery of a new vision can disrupt planning. The process of reviewing an existing strategic plan against a new set of goals, as may happen when the owner's council first introduces its vision to the board, can be time-consuming, and owners and board alike will want to take time to consider the implications of the shared purpose, vision, and decision grid. The owner's council will need to recognize that most businesses more closely resemble an ocean liner than a speedboat. It can take time, possibly years, to completely adjust the strategic plan to align with a different shared purpose and vision. Take, for example, a chain restaurant business that has built substantial capital reserves. Management and the board may well have developed a strategic plan that calls for deploying those reserves to expand the business. For the sake of this example, we'll assume the business, which has been run by non-family management since the unexpected death of the founder 10 years ago, owns 40 restaurants under three different franchise agreements. The five-year strategic plan approved by the independent board three years ago calls for building up reserves sufficient to enable the company to expand into hotels. Now, assume that the founder's children, who inherited ownership of the company, but who pursued their own interests rather than join the management of the company, are now in their 50s. Wishing to become more engaged in the ownership of the business their father created, the owners have formed an owner's council. 
The owner's council's shared purpose includes sustaining the existing business while expanding the core capital outside the business by investing in the savvy of the family lineage. And the vision calls for identifying and investing in entrepreneurial opportunities brought forward by family members. In working with the family assembly, the newly created Owners' Council has discovered that one of the founder's grandchildren has started up a food safety technology business that, if successful, would revolutionize the restaurant industry. The Owners' Council recognizes that the hotel expansion opportunity is likely less risky from a financial standpoint, but financial investment in the grandchild's food safety technology company would be more likely to further the shared purpose and vision. In such an instance, the newly minted Owners' Council might come forward to the board at an annual shareholders' meeting with a recommendation for increased dividends for the purpose of generating financial reserves outside the business, sufficient to fund the grandchild's startup outside the business. If the board and management had already begun moving forward with plans to acquire a hotel franchise in keeping with the strategic plan, such a demand could waste financial and enterprise capital, especially if the company is forced to back out of a hotel franchise contract, and also damage the nascent relationship between the board of directors and the owner's council. Alternatively, the owner's council, after presenting its shared purpose and vision to the board at a previous meeting, and requesting that the board take this information into account in its planning, might ask the board and management how the strategic plan could be adjusted to accommodate the new shared purpose and vision and then raise the possibility of the startup investment. The latter course of action, where the owner's council prepares the board of directors well in advance of their intention to become more engaged, educates the board about its shared purpose, vision, and consequences for future deployment of the core capital, and then requests a change in strategy to accomplish those objectives, is more likely to be successful over the long term. In a real sense, it is also an example of how enterprise capital is created, because the board, now that it understands the owner's council's shared purpose and vision, can be the owner's partner in their effort. One might even say that the board is only now taking on its original and intended role. Some directors may resist, arguing that this new focus on the Owners' Council's shared purpose and vision is not what they signed up for when they joined the board, and that the new path won't take advantage of their skills and expertise. Others may feel that the new vision isn't sufficiently compelling to warrant their time, And indeed, the roster of directors may need to change to accommodate the efforts of the owner's council. Owners should not take this personally or as a criticism of their efforts, so long as they've been respectful and open-minded in their discussions with the board. Still, other directors might have ideas about how the vision might be accommodated, but via a different path than the one envisioned by the owner's council. For example, the directors may not have known about the grandchild's startup and may want to learn more with the possible goal of providing corporate funding for the enterprise, which could provide a more tax-effective way to redeploy financial capital than via making distributions. The directors may be able to supply support and assistance through industry introductions or help with technical hurdles that the family entrepreneur is encountering. 
The point here is that an owner's council that seeks to build a collaborative relationship and two-way dialogue with the board is more likely to be successful in achieving the vision. The owner's council may also find opposition from non-family senior management for similar reasons. Three things are worth mentioning in this regard. Number one, while the owner's council's ultimate goal is to foster alignment between the work of the board and management on the one hand and the shared purpose and vision of the owner's council on the other, this may not be a quick and easy process, especially when management has operated without the active input of engaged owners for years or even decades. The owner's council should not expect instant acceptance or understanding, and it should avoid using its powers to force change unilaterally. Number two, in nearly all companies, it is the board's responsibility to oversee management, not the owner's. Therefore, when accomplishing the owner's council's vision will require a change of strategic direction within the business, it is the responsibility of the owner's council to educate the board and the board's responsibility to educate, direct, and motivate management. Even if the individual owners know management well, they will want to be extremely careful not to overstep their bounds and usurp the board's role. Likewise, the owners individually and as a council will want to avoid at all costs the temptation to tell management what to do or to meddle in management issues. This hands-off policy can be challenging in family businesses with a convivial culture where owners and management socialize together. Number three, above all, the Owners' Council will want to remember that its tools are very powerful, but also very blunt. Owners have the decision-making powers they have retained, but no more. If management ultimately opposes the owner's efforts, shared purpose, and vision, then it is up to the board to take such action as is necessary to bring about realignment. If the board refuses or is unable to do so, the Owners' Council may ultimately find it necessary to change the board. Owen Family, June 6, 2013. Christopher Owen. It's been three and a half years since Dad died. All in all, it's good that I decided to remain as an owner of the business. It hasn't always been easy to own a company with my siblings, because we all see the world differently. I do have to admit it's been good training for structuring my own business. I've been working on a business plan for a business I call CombuSynth which will be doing combustion synthesis of nanoscale catalysts for use in solar cell technology. My grandfather used coal to fire the company's kilns. My dad used natural gas, but our work helps to harness the sun. Working on the engagement process for Owen Products has given me a better sense for what my investors might demand and why, and how we can structure the board for the new business. I'm less interested in going public quickly because I can now see the value of having investors who are involved in setting the vision for the company and working together in different capacities, owners, board, and management, to achieve it, rather than just having a financial interest. That said, CombuSynth is not going to be built to be a privately held business for the long term. The industry is too large and is moving too quickly for a small private company to keep up. Instead, we will build the business around an exit strategy of going public or selling to a larger company within a decade, 
a colleague asked me what our Owen Products Owners Council meetings are like. I told him the schedule, frequency, and agenda, which made him whistle in surprise. Now he understands what I do with my vacation days. I've come to value the work of getting to consensus. When we started, I was impatient and inclined to take everything to a vote. Now I see that we make better decisions if we can work towards consensus because the dissenters usually have good ideas that can make the majority's ideas work better. I've proposed that we do two of our quarterly meetings via video conference when we're in different parts of the country, which will use our time more effectively. Chapter 14, Meetings. The work of forums is done in meetings, often in person, other times via video or telephone. The quality of forum decision-making depends on the quality of the meetings that precede the decision. The leaders of the Family Assembly and Owners' Council may want to keep the following suggestions in mind as they undertake the work of bringing the forums from concept to reality. Frequency. How often should the Family Assembly and the Owners' Council meet? The short answer is, often enough for the group to build the rapport, knowledge, and decision-making skills to do the forum's work effectively. As a general matter, it's helpful for forums to meet at least annually, to give their members an opportunity to develop the interpersonal relationships necessary to foster consensus building. Many owners' councils meet semi-annually, others quarterly. An owners' council seeking to build engagement will likely want to meet relatively frequently, especially at the outset, to develop the shared purpose and vision and to take stock of the core capital. Beyond those recommendations, frequency of forum meetings will depend on what decision-making the forum is responsible for and how much education and preparation is necessary to ensure that the group can make those decisions quickly enough to meet the needs of the business. The more powers a forum retains that affect day-to-day or year-to-year business decision-making, as opposed to powers that apply to major one-time events, such as the decision to sell the business, the more often it will likely need to meet. For example, assume the owner's council retains the right to be consulted on corporate borrowing above a given threshold. If management and the board are considering borrowing, the owner's council will need to understand the company's financials and financial situation, the reasons for the proposed borrowing, the terms of the loan, and the projections for repaying it. They also need to understand what alternatives exist and what the consequences might be if the company doesn't borrow the funds. All of this suggests that meetings will need to be scheduled so that the board, or at the board's delegation management, can present the issue to the owner's council and the owner's council can discuss it before the board makes the final decision. Family assemblies often focus their work on strengthening family relationships through various activities. Likewise, where a right to be consulted on a given issue is allocated to the family assembly, for example, regarding a change of corporate name or branding, the family assembly will need to meet to prepare its members so that they can provide useful feedback to the board. Quorum and proxies. It is the forum's prerogative to determine whether it will require a quorum, a minimum number of attendees, for decision-making, and whether it will permit a participant who is unable to attend to appoint a proxy to vote in his or her stead. Requiring a quorum will create an incentive for members to participate, 
permitting proxies will increase flexibility for participants with busy lives and multiple obligations. However, if too many participants opt to appoint a proxy rather than participate in the meeting, the forum may fail or come to resemble a fiefdom, thereby diminishing engagement. Meeting Guidelines A forum will achieve better attendance and participation if its leaders follow basic guidelines. 1. Set the meeting schedule well in advance, preferably annually, so that members can plan for the meetings. This is particularly important where participants must travel to attend. 2. Establish a meeting agenda, send it out in advance, and follow it. Keep minutes. 3. Provide meeting materials well in advance. Establish an expectation that participants will read materials in advance of the meeting and be prepared for discussion and decision-making. This is particularly important for a forum that retains decision-making powers that are critical to the operation of the business. 4. Coordinate the meetings with meetings of other forums, particularly when some members participate in more than one group. For example, hold an owner's council meeting in the morning and a family assembly meeting in the early afternoon on the day before a family retreat begins. And 5. Create a simple code of conduct and reinforce it. If the group is unable to function effectively, ask whether the issue is a lack of group discussion and decision-making skills or a lack of alignment around shared purpose and vision. Group discussion and decision-making skills can be improved by bringing in a facilitator. If there is a lack of alignment around shared purpose or vision, the forum may want to revisit the work it did when it was first created. Agendas. An agenda sets boundaries and manages participant expectations for the meeting. The agenda should be developed and sent to forum members in advance of the meeting, and the chair should make every effort to keep to the agenda. The chair of the forum may want to consider establishing an agenda cycle, at least for the first several years of the forum's existence. The purpose of the agenda cycle is to ensure that the forum's members are educated on relevant topics and prepared to make the decisions for which they are responsible. The decision-making responsibilities of the forum should drive the agenda. For example, an agenda cycle for an owner's council that is agreed to meet quarterly, including a one-day annual retreat, might look like this. December, quarterly meeting, two hours. Business update. And forum education, presentation on the business's strategic plan. March, a quarterly meeting, two hours. Business update. Forum Education, Review Board Performance and the Bios of Director Candidates Proposed by the Nominating Committee. And third, Forum Decision Making, Develop an Agenda for the Annual Meeting of Shareholders. June, Annual Retreat, 7 Hours. Annual Meeting of Shareholders, with Decision Making, which involves voting on the slate of directors approving the auditor. Provide an update to the board on activities of the Owners' Council and a consultation. The board provides an update on its strategic plan. Then adjourn and convene the Owners' Council, which would have a discussion, review of shared purpose and vision, are we in alignment? A review of the core capital. Has the core capital expanded or contracted during the year? Form education. Discuss the shareholder succession plan and further forum education. Do some communication skills training. 
September, quarterly meeting, two hours. Business update, forum education on estate planning strategies, and forum decision-making review the share transfer policies and the shareholders agreement. There is considerable flexibility when it comes to forum agenda setting. What is important is to make sure that members receive the information they need to consider well in advance of the date the decision is required. Participation by non-members. A forum may operate on a members-only basis, or it may choose to invite presenters, participants, and or observers. Attendance at forum meetings can be an opportunity for younger family members to see engagement in action and to learn more about the business and how decisions are made. The chair should be clear whether the non-member may participate in discussion or whether he or she is expected to observe quietly. Owen Family, December 24, 2013. Mike Owen. Today was challenging but productive. The Owners' Council worked over the past month or so to develop a draft policy regarding distributions and investments in new business ventures. The policy calls for making an annual distribution of $10 per share or 20% of free cash flow, whichever is greater. There are 50,000 shares outstanding, and the $10 per share minimum means that if the dividend policy is implemented, the company will be required to distribute a minimum of $500,000 per year. The policy also calls for creating a pool of capital within the company that will be available for making acquisitions and investments. We call it a war chest. These policies are a big change for us. Dad began paying dividends after his Uncle Fred retired, since it was the only way to get him some income. The amounts varied from zero in tight years to $20 a share in 2007, a year when we had extra high sales. There was never really a policy. I remember that Dad would spend a couple of hours with his pocket calculator the night before the annual meeting, figuring out what the dividend should be. His system was certainly flexible, but I can see the value of adding certainty. I've gotten really tired of having my siblings call me or our CFO in late November or early December to ask us what we think the dividend will be. Then again, I don't want to be distributing money if the business needs it. That said, the board has helped me understand that Owen Products' financial capital isn't free and that the shareholders who make it available to us do deserve a return. (laughs) Can you tell that I'm torn between thinking like an owner and thinking like the president and a board member of the company? So today, the Owners Council brought the proposal to the board for discussion and debate. The board had a lot to say about the draft policy. Generally, the board supports implementing a dividend policy as a mechanism to ensure that the shareholders receive a return on their invested financial capital. The board agreed with using free cash flow as a measure, but suggested that the policy should define the term and then explicitly provide for capital expenditures within an established range. Up until now, management has been free to budget whatever we feel is necessary for capital expenditures from year to year, So this would be a big change for us. The board suggested using three- or five-year rolling averages to smooth out distributions and increase management's ability to plan. The board also suggested that the policy explicitly provide that the board could eliminate the dividend in any year after consulting with the owners. We debated this one for quite a while. The owners at first wanted to be able to override the board, 
but the board made a good case for needing flexibility to deal with business emergencies, and the owners ultimately agreed. The board agrees in concept with creating a work chest, but felt that additional work needs to be done to determine when and how it can be tapped. Is it only for acquisitions or investments? Can it be tapped in an emergency? Would it make sense to create a separate division or even a separate company to evaluate opportunities, especially if they're in different businesses than Owen products? The board suggested creating a committee of one board member and one representative from the Owners' Council to draft the policy for review by both groups. Christopher has been interested in this discussion with the board as he's at work on the business plan for his company, CombuSynth. He's pointed out to us that if we opt to invest in his business, we should not expect a return on capital unless or until the company is sold. No dividends there, but if his plans come to fruition, there should be a substantial payoff within the next decade, as well as the creation of enterprise capital that can be leveraged into still other businesses. Chapter 15, Policies Once the foundational work of creating the forums has been done, once members of the forums develop a working level of consensus and become more comfortable with their roles and responsibilities, and once intergroup efforts begin to bear fruit in the form of more effective communication and collaboration, engagement will increase steadily throughout the family business system. Over time, the forums may wish to articulate policies to guide decision-making particularly around issues that can be expected to arise more than once. A policy sets forth a decision agreed upon by two or more of the forum or provides the parameters within which a decision will be made, thereby providing guidance and helping to manage expectations of the groups vis-a-vis each other. Policies encourage consistency in decision-making and promote investment by groups in long-range thinking and planning. They also make interforum decision-making more efficient and reduce the likelihood that a given topic will crowd out other topics. Once the policy is set, it can be expected to remain in place unless and until there is a substantial change in circumstances. Common topics for policies are distribution and reinvestment, share transfer, family employment and compensation, privacy and confidentiality, trust reporting, compliance, and disclosure, corporate charitable giving, and borrowing. Which policies should be addressed first depends on the core capital, the shared purpose and vision of the particular business and family. For example, if the core capital includes extensive intellectual property and know-how, and the shared purpose includes fostering family employment, then the Family Assembly and Board of Directors might jointly adopt a family employment policy, setting forth a general policy in favor of hiring family members and then providing certain boundaries to prevent unequal treatment between family and non-family employees. For example, the policy might state, the Owners' Council seeks to encourage family employment as a means to sustain the human and enterprise capital. Management is encouraged to hire a family member if a suitable position exists and the family member is qualified for the role. Family members are strongly encouraged to obtain graduate degrees or technical training in subjects relevant to the business. Tuition assistance may be provided by the Education Fund established by the Owners' Council. 
The family employee is subject to the same rules and policies as a non-family employee. A family employee will be paid the same rate of compensation as a non-family member in the same job, having the same qualifications and experience. Disciplinary matters regarding a family employee are within the jurisdiction of the Human Resources Department. Now, imagine a different family business, one whose core capital includes a highly recognizable brand that bears the family's name. The shared purpose includes nurturing the business to maintain steady growth while harvesting some capital for entrepreneurial activities. To ensure that the value of the brand and the family name is protected, the owner's counsel of such a business might work with the family assembly and the board to develop a publicity and branding policy that reflects how the brand and name should be used in family, business, and entrepreneurial activities. So, for example, The policy might state, Our brand is one of the most valuable assets within our pool of core capital. It inspires the trust and respect of our customers. Our family name is a critical element of our brand and benefits the extended family financially and socially. As a family, we commit to behaving at all times in a manner that will support and benefit our brand. The Family Assembly has developed a code of public conduct to clarify the behavior we as family members expect of ourselves. As a business, we commit to ethical and responsible business activity that supports and does not damage our family name. The board and owners have developed a code of business conduct to clarify our expectations regarding ethical conduct by our business and management team. Our brand standards are approved by board and owner's council in consultation with family. Any change in the use of our brand or tagline must be approved by the owner's council in consultation with the family assembly before it is adopted. And finally, all entrepreneurial activities that intend to leverage our brand core capital must be approved by the owner's council and conducted in compliance with the Code of Business Conduct and the Family's Code of Public Conduct. A policy reflects an agreement between two or more forums. When a policy is under development, it can be helpful for the participating forums to establish a joint task force to develop a draft of the policy, which will reduce the problems that might be encountered when a large group with potentially diverse interests takes on a wordsmithing project. The draft policy is then reviewed and voted on by each of the forums. A policy should always include the procedures by which it may be amended. Policies are living agreements. Owners who have seen their ancestors' attitudes towards dividends, reinvestment, or family employment become unquestioned assumptions within the company's culture will recognize the importance of reviewing each policy from time to time to ensure that it continues to serve the purposes for which it was established. Major changes in circumstances a recession that substantially cuts into the business's margins and profitability, a major change in the regulatory environment, or the acquisition or formation of a new division or business line, all warrant prompt review of existing policies to ensure that they remain appropriate and effective.